I'm excited today to start a new series called Pass It On, on being and making disciples. And there's nothing more transformative in our life of following Jesus than our discipleship journey. I thought this week about my childhood. I grew up in the 80s in the era of the Chicago Bulls dynasty. Uh, I actually, big fan of Michael Jordan. I had the first Air Jordans. Wore the Bulls jersey. I'd love watching the Bulls play uh, and uh, talking about it with my friends. You had Scottie Pippen that was just so incredible and reliable, like uh, historic small forward. We, you had Steve Kerr that just nailing three-pointers left and right. You had Dennis Rodman, very flamboyant guy. You never knew what color his hair was going to be that week and brought down more rebounds than anyone else. And of course, you had the GOAT. You had Michael Air Jordan, who could defy gravity, totally undefendable. And, and so it was such an exciting time. And when I, when I married Steph and found out she had grown up in Chicago and actually got to go to those games in that era, it was like, no, that, I'm so jealous of you. But I do want to say that being a spectator of the Chicago Bulls, even at their height of, of, of their victories, paled in comparison to playing on the B team of C.D. Folks Middle School. <laughs> There's a difference between being a spectator and a player. Uh, many of you guys know that I, was, I, I got hurt, injured playing football, so my football career ended, so I decided to be a basketball player. And my, my tryout for C.D. Folks Middle School, I, I shot more air balls than anyone in the tryout. And so it was, it was so exciting when they actually took me on the team. And um, we, it, was, it was hard work. We did all these things called gashers, or people call them running lines, and you'd run until you felt like you were going to hurl. And, and then, you know, it was, it was really exciting getting better and better. And then the teamwork. I had Eric, who was like our own Steve Kerr that could shoot three points. I had Chris Stuckey that was just a beast. And so he was always getting the rebounds. I had David Ashley. He was the fastest guy every time we stepped on the court. The only problem is sometimes he'd get the ball, he'd steal the ball and go the wrong direction. And so it would all be, no, screaming at him. But still, his speed was stunning. I was the big guy on the court. They put me under the basket. Being two feet from the basket, I could usually make a basket. Uh, it was so fun. I learned teamwork. I learned unity. We learned perseverance. There was such a joy in actually playing the game. And I think this is a, a, a great prophetic symbol of the difference between being a spectator Christian and and being a player. I would call that being a, in the crowd or being a disciple. If you look at scripture, you actually see about four different categories that people fell into when you, when you get a snapshot of Jesus and then the people surrounding him. So yes, you get the crowd, and, and here's what the crowds were. They were people that came wanting to hear teaching. They often wanted food to be fed. They, they often needed something like a miracle. So that was the crowd. Then you had another group. They were the Pharisees. They were like the very religious people. And often when they came, they were more analyzing what the preaching was, was being said. You know, okay, what do I agree with that? Do I not agree with that? They were self-righteous. They felt pretty smug, felt pretty important. Hey, I'm, I'm God's chosen person. And we kind of know what's going on. 
Then you had, you had the controlling class of people. These were the Romans. They, they were the Roman soldiers. They were the political leaders. They were the governing body. And, and they were typically kind of indifferent to Jesus as long as he didn't threaten their power and their control. When he did, then they started attacking him and started coming against him. The fourth group, though, were Jesus' friends. They were actually the ones who didn't just show up for a little bit, get something, and then go away. They were the ones who actually spent time with him. They walked with him on the road. They sat with him at the fire at night. They laid down at camp next to him. They out, went out and worked with him. They were the disciples. It's very clear in Scripture that Jesus' main work was actual disciple-making. Yes, he spoke to the crowds, but if you looked at a time chart of how much time he spent, it was definitely with his disciples. So from the very beginning of his ministry, he calls some guys and says, follow me to be my disciples. He tells them, I'm going to actually use you. Then at the very end of his life, after he's been crucified and resurrected, he comes back, and who does he talk to? He talks to his disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let's just look at this the seminal verse on discipleship, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. So Jesus tells his disciples to go and make more disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So I don't think anyone today in all our services would disagree with me that Jesus was into discipleship, that he called people to be disciples, and that this was his primary way of impacting the earth. So then my question becomes, why isn't everyone, why don't all Christians become disciples? Why don't all Christians actually become disciples? And let me just explain really quickly, what do I mean by that? A disciple by definition, so let me give you the, a simple definition of disciple. A disciple is someone who follows, say follows, and obeys, say obeys. Someone who follows and obeys Jesus. Clearly, not all Christians are disciples. Now, why wouldn't you be? I think the answer is found in one word, and that word is joy. Humans are wired to seek out joy. That is why we do what we do. That's why we spend time with the people we spend time with. That's why we do the activities we do. It's what makes us go to some things and avoid other things. We are wired for joy. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples about being a disciple. John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus is saying, the joy that I have in me, I want it in you. And I actually want you to have complete joy. And the way you're going to do that is if you're my disciples and you remain in me. 
So why doesn't everyone do it? I'm going to say something crazy. You don't have to be a disciple. You can be a Christian, and you don't have to be a disciple. In fact, let me say this. Jesus will love you even if you choose to not be a disciple. What? Okay. Let me prove it to you. John 3, 16. For God so loved the disciples that he gave, no. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let me keep going. The scripture says this. It's by grace that you've been saved. Not it's by discipling that you've been saved. It's by grace through faith that you've been saved. Not by any works. Not by following and obeying. It's by grace that you've been saved. Not through works. Or a person could boast. It is the gift of God. So let me ask you, does being a disciple save you? No. What saves you? Receiving the gift of Jesus. Believing. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's, so let me prove this to you. Jesus is being crucified. There's a, 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 two criminals. One of them says, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. This is a bad dude. This is a criminal. And he's going to die in a moment. <clears throat> and Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this very day, you'll be with me in paradise. That guy did not get on, down off the cross start following Jesus around, being a disciple. Are you following me? Okay, maybe I can explain it this way. Um, when Stephanie got pregnant with our first, I hadn't even seen my child, and I loved her. Okay, so how is how was my first? This is what I'd do. I'd cut my hands around my mouth, or sometimes I'd get an, an, an empty toilet paper roll, like the little cardboard, and I'd go, I'd put it on her belly and go, hello, hello, Allie, it's your dad, I love you. I hadn't even seen her. She had done nothing obedient. She was just taking up space and, and, and depleting Stephanie of nutrients and calories, mind you, and I loved her. Are you following me? God will love, this is the crazy thing. I'm actually in a series trying to motivate you to, to be a disciple, and I'm telling you, you don't have to do it. God, will, God loves the crowd. So we, we start thinking, okay, disciples good, crowds bad. Uh, actually, listen to Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he was ticked. No. It says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus loved the crowds. Jesus will love you. When you're, you're born his child and he just loves you, are you following me? And actually, this makes me want to follow him more because he's not making me be a robot. He's not controlling me. Are you following me? Like, I'm so glad that Stephanie didn't meet me and she's like, you will date me and you will marry me whether you'd like it or not. 
Be there May 12th, 2 p.m. or die. No, I, I wanted to follow and obey. <laughs> that was funny. Um, no, I, I, it, was my, it was my choice because I knew there was joy in the relationship. So here's the problem when we start thinking about discipleship, church. I think the reason so many people don't end up saying, I will be your disciple, is because they just think, okay, here's, here's what discipling is in the Western church. It's like you go to class after class after class to learn more doctrines, to learn more beliefs, to learn more information. And then once you go, man, I've been to this many classes and I've even studied the original language. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but I am saying that we think if I just do that, 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 and then I am a mature Christian. Or maybe a step up. Okay, maybe it's not just head knowledge. Maybe it's action. So I go through a training process where I learn this practice and this practice and this practice and this practice, and then I am a mature Christian. And the problem is, is that is not how God wired us to work. So your brain actually has dual processing units in it. It has a left brain and a right brain. Okay, let me just nerd out for a second. Let me use the short time I was a neuroscience, uh, a psychology major. Um, Jim Wilder's written a great book on this. I encourage you to read it. It's called The Other Half of the Church. And Jim, Jim Wilder's written this, this book, and he's a neuroscientist. And so he's explaining that your brain, right, left brain and right brain, and, and what we think is kind of like, well, I'm either a total left brain person or a total right brain person. So I process through my left brain or I process through my right brain. So left brain, if, if you don't remember, it's like, oh, I'm a mathematician. It's like facts. I'm an engineer. Uh, right brain, oh, no, I'm an artist, a poet, right? And, and, and so let, let me explain to you the left brain, which is the slow track, because the left brain, the left side of the brain actually moves slower is the conscious thought, the speech, strategies, problem-solving, logic versus the right brain, which is the fast track. Individual identity, group identity, emotional attunement to others, assessment of surroundings, relational attachment. So let me show you actually how all of our brains work. This is all of us. The brain works this way. You take information, and it starts in the back of the right side of your brain, that relational part of your brain, the attunement to others, the attachment side of your brain. And then it goes up here, crosses the grocery store aisle, and comes back down the left side. And that is why your gut response to things often is different than what you logically know. And so that's why just putting a bunch of information or even just doing a bunch of actions doesn't transform you like relationships do. So I actually want to propose to you an even more thorough definition of discipleship than just to follow and obey, which is good, which is scriptural. But I actually want to tell you what that actually means here is a deeper definition of discipleship. 
Being a disciple is to live in a joy-filled relational attachment that comes from being with Jesus in which we get transformed into being more like him. Are you following me? Making disciples is modeling for others how to do the same. So let me just read to you some thoughts from Jim Wilder's book on this. The right brain functions begin with our important relational attachments and are intended to help us be ourselves in relationship. The right side is the fast track. The left side is the slow track. With that in mind, our right brain governs the whole range of relational life, who we love, our emotional reactions to our surroundings, our ability to calm ourselves, our identity, both as individuals and community. The right side manages our strongest relational connections, both to people and to God, and our experiences of emotional connectedness. So character formation, which is the primary responsibility of the church, is governed by the right brain. Left brain discipleship emphasizes beliefs, doctrine, willpower, but neglects right brain loving attachments, joy, emotional development, and identity. Okay, what does this have to do with anything? You are transformed by who you are relationally connected to and interacting with. And that actually determines your character and how you respond to situations that come at you in life, how you treat others, what you actually feel. You don't have to be Jesus' disciple. You can just be in the crowd. And the crowd, it's kind of like the food network. Okay, I don't, occasionally I can watch the Food Network for a few minutes, but I really don't get it. And here's why. Food is meant to be eaten, not watched. So like, it's cool when, what's that guy's name? Guy for... Fieri. Um, when he gets up and goes to diners and dives and he's like, Man, this just is so rich and succulent. And, and I'm like, cool for a second. And then I'm just ticked. Because it's like, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't want to watch a beef brisket in someone's mouth. I, wa- I want it. Robbie wants some. You are not made to just be a spectator and listen to some pastor talk about how good Jesus is and how he met me and how, man, the, 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 the revelation he gave me when I was reading his word, it's like it came alive and then I heard his voice speak to me and I was hurting and then he comforted me and met me and then we laid our hands on this person and the power of God actually touched him and worked a miracle and the, and the joy. And you're like, cool, I'll just sit and listen to you and watch you prepare and eat some good food when the Bible says, no, you taste and see 
that God is good. And so then why is being a disciple the most joyous experience in all of life? Because what neuroscientists have told us now is that the primary place that a human gets joy in life is through their relationships. Like the people that report the most joy on earth, this is scientific now, are the ones who have interconnected healthy relationships. So how can being a disciple be the place of most joy in life? It's because you are connecting, you are being with. Let me just read that to you real quick because Mark 4 says this. Mark 4 says Jesus comes down and he calls those, it says he went up on the mountainside and called to them those he wanted. So first of all, you realize, oh, I'm wanted. And it says, and they came to him, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Because what we think is, oh, being a disciple is do, do, do. I perform, I'm a Christian soldier, I'm doing this. And Jesus says, actually, the primary, the, the, the primary Part of being a disciple is being with me. Okay. And then the Bible says this of Jesus, that he was anointed with the oil of of joy above his companions. That he actually is the embodiment of joy. He is the author and perfecter of joy. In fact, the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. So church, you don't have to be a disciple and he'll still love you. You can sit in the crowd. But if you, like me, want the most joyous life possible, then you're going to pick to be a disciple so you can be with joy incarnate. Are you following me? So here's my my more thorough definition is to live in a joy-filled relational attachment that comes from being with Jesus in which we get transformed because you actually start, if you spend time, if you connect with him, then when situations come your way, when you're walking out through life, then you start being like him who you are with. And that's discipleship. That's being a disciple. So you don't have to do it. But if you want joy, it's the wisest thing you can do. And then some of you were like, okay, Robert, now really, like that sounds very self-focused. And like to focus on joy This isn't my idea. This is Jesus' idea. And actually, did you know that Jesus was motivated by joy? Can I say that again? Jesus was motivated by joy. Well, prove it to me. Here we go. Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What I'm not telling you is sign up to be Jesus' disciple, and it's going to be like living in perpetual Disneyland. (laughs) because Jesus actually says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, pick up their cross, and follow me. Let me actually read that to you. There's two really important parts to make. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, he's basically saying if you try to just live in Disneyland... whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Like the other option of saying, well, yeah, I I, I want Jesus, but I'm really just going to try to have, I'm just going to try to chase my own joy in the world. He actually says you're going to lose it. 
But whoever loses their life for me, whoever says, okay, forget just trying to have, have my, make my own path of joy in life. I'm actually going to connect to you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to hold on to you, and I'm going to do what you say. He actually says, those that are willing to let go of the lesser joys, they will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? yet forfeit their soul? Or can anyone give an exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is coming, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Those of us that have decided to follow Jesus, it's not like, oh man, you're so selfless, and just you just don't, no, we're actually like, no, we just actually want the greatest joy. We actually think that someone has even more to offer than everything else in the world, or even just living as a saved Christian, but then just kind of sitting on the back row. We actually believe the greatest joy comes from walking closely with Jesus and going wherever he says and doing whatever he says. And then some of you go, that's good for you. Because there were like 12 disciples in the Bible, and then there was a bunch of crowds. And so there's only a few people that he really wants to walk with that closely. Like I was talking to a guy after the third service and he's like, hey, because I don't want to be a downer, but what if I'm like, I don't deserve to be one of those guys? Right, a lot of us have felt that, right? Like you're like, I blew it this week. What I thought this week, what I said this week, what I did this week. Like, I'm, I, think, I think I'm just lucky to make it in the crowds. He said, so what would you say to someone like that? I said, he goes, would say, I'm not worthy. I said, you're exactly right. You're not worthy. Well, you're an encouraging pastor. I said, you're not. I said, neither am I, though. I'm not worthy. You see, I think some of us think, well, you know, if I was living back in Bible times, I would have been like on the back row of the crowds. Jesus calls, and he comes and calls these upstanding guys like Peter and John, and James, Bartholomew, right? I would have just been on the crowds. Uh, I, I need to show you something very, very interesting about Matthew 16. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever, say whoever, whoever, whoever wants. The, the, the King James Version says, anyone who wants. And what does that Greek word for wants mean? It says, who has a desire, a wish. I'd like to do something. I'd take delight. I'd have pleasure. If you want to be a disciple, you get to be a disciple. You're like, no, that's not how it worked in the Bible. Like Jesus is walking along the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Actually, he's Jesus, so he's probably floating, you know. And then he sees Peter, James, and John, and he says, come and follow me. And it says they immediately, they drop their nets and follow him. They're like, yes. You know, he's like, Peter. And he's like, yes. <laughs> right? Is that how it happened? Look at John chapter 1. Let me show you what happened before that. It says, the next day, John, John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Did you notice that? Jesus didn't say, come and follow me. They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? 
okay, that's a lot more different than Jesus floating around saying, come and follow me, Peter. And Peter going, yes, master. No, what happened is someone sees Jesus and they're like, dang, he's like the lamb of God. I am totally intrigued. I got to run after that guy. And so they're running and Jesus is like, what do you want? And what do they say? They say, can, can we see? We, we, we want to know where you're staying. And he says, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. With him. Being a disciple is being with him. And, and how did they get chosen? They chose themselves. They're like, I want to follow that guy. And so that's why, because we think of like, oh, the disciples were just the 12. No, if you notice, if you really study scripture, the disciples grow from 12 to 72, to 120, to 500. You get to decide. Do you want to be a disciple? So let me end with this. You don't have to. You can stay the crowd. You can watch TV network, food network, watch other people eat. Or you can say, no, I, I actually, it's not just like we're talking about discipleship. It's not just I've got to do more. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to get all this stuff in my head and I've got to go through all these. It's actually, no, I, to be a disciple, I get to walk with the most wonderful being in the universe who is the author of joy, who is God incarnate, that if I actually step in with him and walk with him and follow him around, I actually get to live and remain in his love all the time. And yeah, I know sometimes they're going to be hard because he said in this world where you will have trouble, but then he says, lo, I have overcome the world and I will never leave you or forsake you. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. And all its imperfections, all its, all, all my challenges and inabilities, if I have the chance to be with and walk with and follow and obey and have the promise of his, his joy, the joy of God, like that's perfect joy. And he says, I actually say this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. I'll finish this way. My constant question for people as I go around the city is, how can I pray for you? Do you know what the main thing that people say to me is? They say, I just want to be happy. Jesus is saying, I have something better than happiness. I have joy. But that joy actually comes from connectedness to me in a thing called being my disciple. Let's stand up.